This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 8th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The United States has decided to violate the terms of the Iran nuclear deal. In doing so, the president has gone against the advice of much of his cabinet, past and present, and the advice of European allies. So what's the better deal that the president promised on the campaign trail? Cato's Emma Ashford says it probably doesn't exist. So many people who deal with foreign policy or who were in the Trump administration uh, thought that the Iran nuclear deal, whatever its flaws, it was something that was worth staying staying in. European leaders came to visit uh, Donald Trump and said essentially the same thing. This is a deal worth uh, staying in. And there are some economic consequences for European countries if the United States does withdraw, and the, apparently the U.S. has withdrawn. So, how to what? What are the fundamental, you know, salient reasons why the president decided to withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal? This does not appear to be a decision driven by policy imperatives or even particularly by facts. If we look, as you say, at the history of even people that were in the administration, um, they all argued against withdrawing from it. I'd say the, you know, the sort of community of experts that studies arms control, nuclear proliferation are almost overwhelmingly against the US violating or pulling out of this deal. Um, It's basically Donald Trump and a very small selection of advisors and some right-wing media um, that seem to be pushing this. Um, And in his statement uh, that he made this afternoon, Donald Trump basically asserted that Iran is violating the deal, but didn't provide any evidence that that's the case. Um, And our own intelligence community, our own Secretary of Defense has said that's not true. So it's really unclear what he's basing this on, other than perhaps a gut feeling. Now, uh, I remember... Nikki Haley speaking uh, before the United Nations, saying, complaining about the Iran nuclear deal, and notably, her complaints were about things that the deal didn't cover. This has been a pretty consistent line, actually, from the Trump White House, um, that they argue that the deal doesn't cover ballistic missiles, it doesn't cover Iran's aggressive behavior in the region. Um, and, And that's really kind of a false complaint, because while some people said back when the deal was negotiated that perhaps it could improve Iran's behavior in the long run, the deal explicitly excluded those things so that there could be a deal. In effect, we we took a deal where we accepted that we were basically going to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon and we'd deal with the other stuff later. So to complain now that the deal doesn't cover that other stuff is a bit disingenuous. So what now? Well, uh, we're going to see increased tensions between the US and Europe. Um, So the sanctions will not go back into effect instantly, or or rather they will, but companies won't be penalized for, I think it's 180 days. Um, But European companies will obviously probably start to hedge their bets and not do business in Iran. European governments um, have to decide whether they're going to resist those US sanctions, whether they're going to try and stay in the deal. And it does seem like they're they're interested in trying to stay in the deal with Iran and still make it work. But then they have to try and figure out whether they can honestly protect their companies from US retaliation. And that's very difficult to do. So we're going to see a period of worsening uh, relationships with our, with our allies. And then potentially on the Iranian side and in the Middle East, we may see a period of, of worsening tensions that could end up escalating into some sort of small scale conflict if the Trump administration has its way. What is the substance of the U.S. withdrawal from the deal? It 
it doesn't seem to be simply we're out and it, it you know there have to be some some particulars there that could be relatively better or worse. Well, actually, I don't really like the use of the word withdrawal for this reason, because that suggests that this is a process that was written into the deal in the first place that we can voluntarily withdraw. Instead, what the Trump administration has done today is violate the deal. We've basically agreed with Iran that they would give up a lot of their nuclear capacity, their enrichment capacity. In exchange, we'd lift sanctions. Today, the Trump administration just decided that we're no longer going to lift the sanctions. The sanctions are going back into force. So we're still in the deal. We're just violating it today. And how does the U.S. uh, deciding to impose these sanctions, how does that change the economic relationships that uh, Europe has with Iran? You mentioned that European countries are hedging their bets by maybe not doing as much business or not doing any business with Iran. But but functionally, how does that work? So there's two problems here. The the first is that U.S. sanctions on Iran are, are actually not all that useful in and of themselves because we don't have many companies that do business with Iran or want to do business with Iran. We've had sanctions for so long, since the 1970s, that there's basically no business ties. That's not the case with Europe. And so there are lots of European companies, European banks, European energy companies who would like to do business with Iran. Um, With all the uncertainty that the Trump administration has created in the last uh, nine, 12 months, a lot of those bigger companies have actually withdrawn sort of a lot of their growing business from Iran. And that's because they fear something that we we call secondary sanctions or extraterritorial sanctions. Basically, if those companies that do business in Iran are also exposed to US markets, so if they do business in dollars or they have an office on Wall Street, um, then the US can penalize them inside the US legal system for what they're doing in Iran, even though they're European companies. And so a lot of companies in Europe will probably make the choice that they'd prefer to retain the US market, which is a huge market, than the Iranian one, which is much smaller. And so this is the difficulty for European governments. Even if they say, we're going to try and protect our companies from the US, they actually can't if those companies also have a presence inside America. So in, in, in effect, the by um, violating the deal, as you say, uh, Europe has a choice to make where where they're going to do business. And, you know, with the exception possibly of oil, doing business with the U.S. is a much more attractive option. Yes. For, for most banks in particular, doing business with the U.S. is more attractive. So probably some small European companies, ones that are not particularly interested in the U.S. market, will keep doing business in Iran and European governments might try and protect them. But really, the big winners from this are not going to be European companies or American companies. It's actually going to be Chinese and Russian companies because those companies and those banks are not particularly exposed to U.S. markets. They'll no longer be bound by the provisions of U.S sanctions, and they have every incentive to go back into the Iranian market and try and actually build up their foothold there. So it's the Chinese and the Russians that are actually going to gain from this at the end of the day. The Iran deal was a deal that was on, was the deal that was on the table. There wasn't a better deal on the table, and it took a lot to get it done. And the promise, at least from the campaign trail uh, from the president, was uh, we can get a better deal. It, but it doesn't. It just doesn't seem like anybody's that interested in that. 
No, there are a lot of reasons why a deal now, even even the same deal now, would be far more difficult to negotiate. Uh, when the JCPOA was originally negotiated, um, sanctions were being imposed by basically every major country. China and Russia were actually joining in on the sanctions. That's not going to happen again. The Iranian government had been facing a series of widespread protests associated with some of the economic problems they were having. Again, that's not really happening now. So it's sort of folly, I think, for the Trump administration to assume that they're going to be able to go in now and have more leverage in negotiations than we had before when those factors were in effect. So what we're looking at realistically is not a better deal. There is no better deal on the table. What we're looking at instead is basically having given up a deal that wasn't perfect, but it did prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. And instead, we're heading into this period of prolonged uncertainty where we don't know what Iran's going to do. It's going to drive a wedge between us and some of our closest European allies. And we could end up seeing more conflict in the region or even between the US and Iran as a result. Emma Ashford is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.